0: We make sure that we are recording this podcast this morning because this is a word that's really, really, really been stirring on my heart. And the title of this morning's message is A Beautiful Exchange. A Beautiful Exchange. So would you open your Bibles if you could for me this morning. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. But would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, And we're going to start off in verse 17, and we're going to continue on to verse 31. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. You do not want to miss next Sunday. You know what happened this week, 2,000 years ago? The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was here on this earth 40 days after the Passover, 40 days after the resurrection, he was still here on this earth. The ascension of Christ. You know what happens 10 days after the ascension of Christ? Jesus leaves this earth, and as he's about to leave this earth, he tells his disciples, he tells his apostles, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. 10 days after, it is the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot. The Feast of Weeks. You may know it as Pentecost. Penta meaning 50, 50 days post resurrection, Pentecost. And so next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and we are excited to celebrate and celebrate the beginning of the church and the Holy Spirit's work in our witness as believers. Amen. Mark chapter 10, 17 through 31, it says this, reading from the English Standard Version, and he, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want you to really think about that question for a second. What must I do to inherit eternal life? if, if you just look for two seconds at the news, if you just look at family interactions, you would realize that we are all imperfect. But this brother was claiming perfection. I, I've, I've never violated any one of those. I, I deserve it, God. I've kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus said, looking at him. You know, I, I was uh, in the South, right? Uh, I lived in the South, in Columbia, South Carolina, for a little while. And Southern folks have this really interesting thing that they do, right? Uh, it's, it's something to be both loving and sarcastic to you. Uh, uh, so how many of you uh, are, are familiar with Southern culture? A little bit? Oh, have you? Then if you're familiar with Southern culture, then you've heard this before. Have you ever heard? Oh, bless your heart. Oh, bless your heart. And that is both a sarcastic thing. And they're trying to get a point across to you. And this is Jesus's bless your heart moment. And verse 21, And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this is a rich guy. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, oh man, he's saying this to grown men. Just think about that. Let that settle in for a second. Jesus is having a real bless your heart moment. He's done dealing with this guy. Now he's dealing with his crew. And he says, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Okay. Let me just pause for a second because this is the same. Remember, I asked you to remember that thing. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the disciples are asking the same question again. Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. So they're saying, hey, you remember that rich guy that that didn't want to leave all his riches? We've left everything to follow you. And here's what Jesus responds to them, verse 29. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first that means our thoughts and what we think about people sometimes you see super spiritual person and you think hmm that person's got to be it they've got to be number one in god's book and what god is trying to tell you through his word is saying what you think is not really what it is i'm I, i love this verse of scripture because um do you know um right now we support missions worldwide and and some of our missionaries have a really hard time but let me just explain to you i've studied i've researched what missionary work was like do you know what missionaries what missionary luggage was y'all know where the missionaries used to pack their clothes in no no one knows let me, let me tell you what they used to pack their clothes in. They used to pack their clothes and they used to pack their belongings. And, and if they were a family, here's what they would do. They'd have a coffin for dad, a coffin for mom, a coffin for the kids. And they would take that and ship that to the country that they were going to go preach the gospel in knowing that it was a one-way ticket and that they wouldn't return for the sake of the gospel. That's how serious the preaching of God's word was. And so when Jesus comes out and says, hey, you're going to be blessed, really blessed when you leave all these worldly possessions behind to follow me. Let me just share with you uh, uh, for a few moments. The, The rich man asked this question. It's this pivotal question. I think it's a question that we should all ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I don't know about you, but if I would take a census, a survey of the congregation and ask, uh, how many of you kind of want to go to heaven? I'm pretty sure I'd get 99.9% of you, right? It's a good desire. But Jesus shows us what real treasure is. And Jesus shows us how to get it. But, but do we have to give up everything to have eternal life? Because that's a question people have. Are we even sure that we can do that? Are we even sure that we want to do that? I remember when I was a kid. Growing up in church, I remember hearing time and time again, this religion stuff is for older folks who have settled down in their lives. It's not for me. I still have a lot of drinking, partying, drugs to do. I still have all these things. I have a life to live before I settle down and give this all up for the sake of the gospel. And so the question that I ask you is, is this even something? Are we sure that we can even give up anything, even if we want to. So this is exactly where Jesus wants us to start. And there are two responses that Jesus calls us to. Number one, the rich young ruler's response and the disciple's response. And I want to cover uh, it all with you this morning. And here's the question this morning. The question is not which one are you, but how do you know? And is the evidence of eternal life apparent in your life. So let's get into the definition of, of what's good. Mark ten seventeen, And as he was sitting out on his journey, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is, this is a really interesting thing that's going on here because the word that's used for good here is one that means good in the most general sense of the word. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus answers this man's question with another question, asking him, Hey, what do you mean by good? And then what he did was he switched things up and he redefined the term good for the man giving a clear statement so that the, what the young ruler's definition was was contrasted with what Jesus' definition was. See, Jesus' definition of goodness was this. No one is good except God alone. Meaning God is not just good in the universal and general sense, but the fact that God is perfect. Look at what Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Second Samuel 22, 31. Speaking about God. This God, his way is perfect. The way of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Isaiah 25, 1. Reading from the NASB. It says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. For you have worked wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. See, Jesus defined goodness as perfection. And Jesus then returned to the man's definition. And he says to him, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. And I can imagine the rich young ruler just nodding, yeah, yeah. He's going, I got it. He's going exactly where, he's going exactly where I want him to go. You see, he was convinced that he had kept all these things and he was actually proud of it. Oh, I've got a badge of honor, man. I am the Boy Scout of Jesus. I got a badge for each one of those commandments that I've kept. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things since my youth, but here's the deal. If you have been alive for any segment of time, then you will know that that is a lie. If you don't know that the devil's real, that evil is real, then you have not yet had children. I know that evil is real every time I ask my daughter to do something, my two-year-old, and she goes, no. And she walks away. (laughs) It's a lie. We know. The man was defining goodness by his own definition. He had fooled himself into thinking that being good was the same as being perfect when we look at this guy, we think he's foolish. What kind of guy would do this? What kind of guy would say something like that? Yeah, when we look at how we sometimes define goodness, especially how it relates to God and the gospel, I wonder if we're really not that different from this rich young ruler. See, I think about funerals that I've conducted. Now, y'all don't want to make me lie at your funeral. Come on now. You always hear the phrase, right? Every funeral every funeral, he was a good man. They could have been a devil and they were a good man. Or someone gets up to the lectern and she was the nastiest woman on the face of the planet. Didn't want to be around anybody. Didn't want to have relationships with anyone. And somebody will get up there and say, she was a good woman. But here's the deal. Goodness as it relates to eternity and eternal life is not good enough. I think about most high school students who would say the way to inherit eternal life would be by some do's and don'ts. I mean, that's kind of how we've done it for years in Sunday school. Uh, um, Don't have sex, don't drink, don't swear. But when we live in a system of do's and don'ts, we become Pharisees. We have the behavior, but at the core we trust our own action for God's love and approval. See, we can find our identity in what we do for God more than finding our identity in who God has called us to be. And so what happens is we begin to believe the lie, subtly, blatantly, that God will love me more if I... Fill in the blank, God will love me more if i what 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 is what is your addiction to the kingdom god 'll love me more if I give more god 'll love me more if I attend more. God will love me more if I do this with my kids. God will love me more if I read my Bible daily. And I'm not saying that these are bad things. I'm just saying when we find our identity in these things, instead of finding our identity in who God called us and made us to be, we're in a dangerous place. This is exactly the story of the older brother and the story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. See, the prodigal son squandered his father's wealth and the other thought that he should have the wealth because of what he did. See, his father went out to him and asked him why he wasn't at the party. We're celebrating your, old, your brother. He has come home. And the son responded, what's all this stuff with my younger brother? I've never broken any of your commandments. You've never even given me a goat to celebrate. What's the deal? You should love me because of the things I've done for you. And his father realized he was living in a broken system. And he answered him by saying, my son, that's not how it works. See, even before you did anything, even before you messed up, even before you did right, all I have is yours. Not because of what you do, because of who you are. You're my son. Ask yourself if this is in your heart. Do you believe that God loves you more today because you came to church? Do you believe the lie that God will love you more if you're in a life group or if you serve in the church or if you go on a mission trip? Here's the truth. He won't. See, those are all good things, but you can't find your identity in those things. When what we do for God defines who we are, then we have missed the whole purpose of the gospel. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 6, reading from the English Standard Version. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Let me pause right here. I want to focus on this word, polluted garment. Okay? How many of you know that the Bible was not written in English? Jesus didn't go around talking English to people. Maybe he talks English now, but not then. He, he would speak Hebrew or Aramaic or what they call koinoning Greek, which is the street, the, the slang, uh, the Greek slang uh, that they would speak. And so let me just, just share with you right now that the Bible's original language is not, is not English. And so sometimes what happens is that some people like to you know, clean up certain words in the Bible so that they don't kind of sound as gross as what they really are. So let me just share with you exactly what this word polluted garment means. It means a stained menstrual garment. That's what it means. A stained menstrual rag. How many of you can say that's nasty? But that's what it is to God when we try to earn his love and favor. Like the rich young ruler, when we have an incorrect definition of goodness, it leads us towards the wrong treasure. Amen. And that's incredible news today. Mark ten twenty one. it says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. The phrase looking at him in the original language, which is Greek, meant that Jesus was not just staring at him. It was, come here, John. Come here, man. It's not just staring at him. See, I'm looking at John right now. John's a good looking dude. I'm looking at him right now, right? Okay. But there's a difference. Have you ever been in a meeting with someone? Or you're in a family discussion with someone? And when you look at them, it's like you're searching into the depths of their soul. That's the word. That is the word that is meant here. When Jesus was looking at him, the word that's meant here in the Greek is that he was literally looking right into who he was. He was looking intensely, looking into, the very, into his very soul, and he loved him. The man basically just said that goodness was found in the things he'd done, which meant this. He really had no need for Jesus. Because if your goodness can take care of it all, then you really have no need for a Savior. So in in one moment, without even meaning to, I'm sure, he rejected the Messiah. But even in the midst of him saying that, Jesus still loved him. And in loving him, Jesus was calling the rich young ruler to himself. That is what Jesus wants to do with us today. See, if you're finding your identity in what you do for God, Jesus is loving you, calling you lovingly back to relationship with him. See, Jesus was lovingly pointing out the man's lacking. The man had made what he had done for God his actual God. Oh, come on now. The rich young ruler had broken the first commandment. See, he was focused on everything else, but y'all know what the first commandment is? Oh no 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 no! You shall have no other gods before me. See, he was he had broken the first commandment, right? What he was doing is finding his identity and status in himself, and he had actually become his own god because he was trying to gain treasure. Look, let me tell you something: it'll never work. In and of ourselves, we are never good enough. And that's the deal because that's what religion does. You see religion tells us in every religion on the face of the earth, religion will tell you you need to earn God's favor. I've got to follow the five pillars of Islam. I've got to earn God's favor. I've got to meditate until I hit nirvana. I've got to earn, I've got to do something. You see it, it, all other religions say you earn God's favor. And you do that and God will accept you. But Jesus broke the system and he said there is something different. He knows that the only way to have him as the treasure is for God to reveal to us what we are actually treasuring is in him. See, every single one of us, to some extent, needs a beautiful exchange in our lives. We need to exchange what we do for God, for God himself. You know that I can, as a pastor, sometimes I study, I read the word. And can I tell you something? I have learned this in my time in ministry. I've learned that sometimes we get caught up because, oh, we're serving in the church. We're volunteering in the church. We're doing this in the church. So that compensates for my personal time, my relationship time with the Lord. And when that suffers, our lives suffer. And so I have made a commitment personally. You want to know what my personal commitment is? Because I read and study the Bible in order to prepare for messages, in order to prepare for times of teaching, I have told the Lord this. I am not going to just use your presence to get something out of it. I want to spend time with you alone so that I can have you and not just find my identity in what I do for you. So disheartened by that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, the rich young ruler revealed what he treasured was what he had. See, by redefining goodness, Jesus redefines who we are. And now he will redefine what we have. See, for the rich young ruler, he chose his treasure and he chose his possessions over choosing Jesus. And that was the idolatry that he needed to repent of. He had the choice to repent, but he chose to walk away. See, our hyper-advertised culture tells us to have what we want and have as much of it as we want. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm gonna just be real. I'm on a journey, right? I'm on a journey to lose weight. You know what I realized is this, that we eat more with our eyes than we do with our appetite. Y'all know that? That means I like to see my plate full. Even though I'm not going to dive in and eat all that thing because I don't need all of it. But yet I've just wasted food. Our culture said you can have exactly what you want. That's why we have had a housing crisis. Because we had Homes being purchased without the ability of us to afford it. Because we had bought into the notion in our culture that said, I can have what I want. Doesn't matter if I can't afford it. I just went the other day, see, I want to get new furniture for my house. Right? Because... Uh, I have older furniture that, that uh, my in-laws graciously gave to us. Um, but it does, it's not enough room. We've got five folks now. It's not enough room for us to all be able to sit on the couch together. So I went into the store. I went uh, to go buy a, a couch or to go explore buying a couch. And I told the person, hey, this is my price point. I don't want to spend more than $1,000 on a couch. Boom. Y'all know when you walk into one of those furniture stores, they're waiting for you like sharks at the door, man. Oh, my God. So I'm walking around, right? And the lady goes and she's walking with me and I'm walking around. Come on now. I'm walking around the store and she goes, look at this beautiful couch right here. And I said, yes, it is beautiful. I said, "What? how much does it cost? Oh, it's a little bit above your price range. I said, exactly how much above my price range? She goes, it's $2,700. I said, that's $1,700 <laughs> above my price range. She said, well, well, come over here. We'll look at this over here. I, sa- I said... Oh, how much is that count? That's really nice. I like the way that sectional is right there. My wife will love that. And she goes, well, don't worry about that. That's just $2,400. I said, that's way above my price range. She goes, don't worry about it at all. You can finance it. <laughs> and it'll only be a little bit over the course of several months. And I said, sweetheart, I don't got a lot of money, but I'm paying for this thing in cash because I'm not going to get bogged down in interest. Because why? I could have had any couch that I wanted. She would have made that deal real sweet, right? I would have been paying 100 hundred, two hundred $200 a month for the rest of my life on that thing. <laughs> but I would have had the couch that I wanted, right? Because our culture says you can have what you want and you can have as much of it as you want. See this, I've learned this before. There are so many lesser treasures constantly at battle with the treasure of Jesus. But the Bible says you you can't serve both. You'll either serve God with your money or you will serve money as your God. Mark 6, 24, Jesus speaking, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, God gives us money to show our affections. I'm, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to let that sink down for a second and then I'm going to explain it. God gives us money to show our affections. You see, there's this verse in the Bible that I love it and it says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So how do you know uh, what your treasure is? Well, look at your credit card statement from last month. Some of us hear about the rich young ruler and we dismiss it thinking, I'm not as rich as him. But we live in America and we have a skewed view of what it means to be rich. I want you to check out something if you get the time to go online. Check out the Global Rich List. The Global Rich List. It's a website showing how rich you are compared to the other 7 billion people in the world. See, if you make $10,000 a year, you are in the top 13% of the world's wealth. If you make more than $48,000 a year, you are the top 1% of the world's wealth. So let me, needless to say, I'll share this with you. Americans are filthy rich. While half the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. See, by spending $2 on a cup of coffee at Starbucks, we're spending someone's entire income that they make for a whole day. That should affect us. Asking the question, why do we have enough, so much money? Why is America so blessed? Why am I so blessed? Why do I have so much? And here's what I think the answer to that is. I think it's to show and to share who, who our real treasure is. And the disciples were amazed at his words, Mark 10, 24. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. See, it's beyond possible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? You see this is the exact same question that the rich young ruler asked in verse 17. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at them and said, with "Man, it is possible, but not with, but ma- with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God." See, salvation and inheriting eternal life is always and only possible because of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You can only receive it through grace by faith. You see, in an earlier story, Jesus said, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will not be able to enter into it. He was pointing out this. Kids are experts at Receiving. Kids are experts at receiving. See, I love my beautiful son. I love my kids, my daughter so much. But they, uh, they're not exactly uh, able to work, you know? I can't exactly send them out to go do something, and so I'm responsible for their care. So I go to Carter's, or I'll go to Old Navy, or I'll go to the store and I'll buy them things. And what you see them wear is the things I buy them. They cannot feed themselves. So what they eat and the nourishment that you see on them is because I as a father have purchased it for them, have prepared it for them, and have fed it to them. You see, they're not experts in giving yet. They're experts in receiving. And that's the deal. We should receive like children. See, the only way that we can confess Jesus is our treasure is if God does it already in our lives. Once He enters our lives, we will always have Him and the treasure of Jesus can never be taken away from us. So how do we know if we've received this treasure? What is the evidence of this treasure in our lives? And this is a powerful statement and I want you to let this settle in. It is a statement that will both sting you and will bless you. When we take the very things the world treasures and we eagerly give them up, we redefine what real treasure is. When we take the very things, the world's treasures, and we eagerly give it up, we redefine what real treasure is. That's how we know that we've received this treasure. And Jesus calls us to do this again and again. We're to give up and sell over again and again to show what? We have a better treasure. We can enjoy this treasure. We don't need other things. See, the disciples exemplified this in their lives. They left everything to follow Jesus. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything to follow you. Let me just share this with you for a second, because I know that this is this idea, and we've been preaching about this, and we've been talking about this for years, and maybe you've heard this before in churches. Let's, let's, and I'll take a little survey real quick. How many of you have heard that disciples were uneducated, poor men? All y'all have heard that before? Don't believe it. It's not true. They were not poor men. They were business owners. They had their own shipping and fishing business. They were not poor folks. They had their very own business. And they left their jobs, their companies, they left their boats, their fathers, their mothers, their money. They left their in- identity as a fisherman and they left it all behind to follow Jesus. And Jesus says this to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So you may go through hardship now, but God sure has a big reward waiting for you. It is a hundredfold everything that you have lost, everything that Satan has taken from you, whether it be your health, whether if he has robbed you of your quality of life through addiction, whether it have been relationships that have gone the wayside, God will restore one hundredfold what Satan has taken from you. See, this is the reward for those who decide to make the beautiful exchange. So I'm going to ask you a question. What lesser treasure do you have in your life this morning that needs to be sold? What do you have in your life this morning? That needs to be exchanged for Christ. Not to earn God's favor, but to reveal that we've received it already. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come forward. For some of us, we need to have an identity exchange. Y'all know I've heard this time and time again before, but this is what psychologists say. Counselors have said this before. Do you know that your posture says something about who you are and who you think of yourself to be? If I'm walking like this, you would say I'm a person that walks confidently. If I'm walking with my nose up in the air, you'll say he's snotty. If I'm walking with my shoulders bent, looking down, You might say he's depressed. He lacks confidence in himself. Some of us need to take that identity that we have been walking around with and we need to switch it up. We need to exchange it for the identity that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. But for some of us, we need to have a possession exchange. Now let me share this with you because... I love this. In a friend's church, they did this. Here's what they did they had folks who were addicted bring their addictions to the altar. This was a large church. It looked like an alcohol aisle at the grocery store. The altars were filled, there were crack pipes. There were blunts on the stage. Marijuana here. It it, it was something incredible. They exchanged their possession for something far greater. A more beautiful treasure. I just want to share this with you. God wants to be your treasure this morning. And so I want to invite you. Exchange that identity. Exchange those possessions. Give it to the glory of God. Give it for Jesus. Jesus is a far greater treasure than anything that you can hold on to and say, I don't want to give this up because this is who I am. But that's not who God called you to be. This may be who you've been, but that's not who God wants you to be. It may be who you are, what you're walking in right now, but it's not who God has destined you to be. A word of advice to you, church. Never walk in who you are. Walk in who God destined you to be. Never walk in who you are. Walk in who God destined you to be. You will see a dramatic shift and change in your life. If you walk in who has God has called you and who God has destined you to be